Hello and welcome to another edition of TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for being with us. Our CRE Executive Roundtable series returns today with two very special guests, Dale Petrosky, the President and CEO of the Dallas Regional Chamber, and Pia Arenius, a Vice President and Senior Economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. Dale and Pia have both appeared on the show before, and they're always a wealth of great information and analysis. We're super excited for you to hear their takes on DFW's continued economic recovery from the pandemic, as well as the region's attractiveness for corporate relocation going forward. A quick reminder before we begin to subscribe to TrackCast if you like what you hear on today's show. We put out all new episodes almost every week, including our monthly CRE Executive Roundtable and our ongoing Legends of Commercial Real Estate interview series with some of the biggest executives in DFW, many of whom have joined these roundtable calls. TrackCast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and wherever else you download podcasts. Now, here's our latest CRE Executive Roundtable, featuring Dale Petrosky and Pia Arenius, right here on TrackCast. Really appreciated by being here. I'm going to get us started because we've got uh, Pia with us and we've got Dale with us. And if it's okay, I'm going to go by first name because I want this to be a conversation. And their time is tight and I want to show gratitude and appreciation and respect for that. So I'm going to get us rolling and um, expect that other people will roll in um, as they do. So um, first of all, thank you, Dale. Thank you, Pia. Um, very excited to have you both here. Um, these are important calls because it really helps our uh, real estate community stay on top of some of the um, bigger moves that are happening around our industry so that we can support the city, support the economy, know what's going on, and we can do smart things. So thank you again for uh, taking the time out. Um, so quick question, Pia and Dale, do either of y'all have a tight schedule that says you really need to go first, or should I pick? No, you pick, Mike. I I'm good. All right. I'm, I'm sure you kind of probably both enjoy hearing the other, even though you you probably hear each other hand in hand, uh, which we appreciate. Um, I'm going to start with, with Dale and just kind of think it's a good setup because Dale's really going to kind of get us to the, the, some of the bigger pictures in the meta moves and then what's going on. And, and then we can let Pia come in with her data and either um, argue why that's happening or why that's happening and maybe what might also be happening that we're not seeing yet because her research is so profoundly in depth. So um, <laughs> just a, a quick setup for Dale. Um, when I called you, one of the conversations was, we know we're having a lot of corporate reload looking here. We know collectively a lot of it's coming from kind of coastals from a California or a New York but there's a lot more to the story. And as opposed to us kind of taking broader swipes, we'd love to hear kind of um, from the horse's mouth, what's really coming in the door? What are you seeing with the conversations? Um, kind of just, I'd love to hear you jump in on kind of the meta of um, population growth and job growth 
and um, and the industry types that are coming here. We'll go from there. Okay, uh, sounds good. First of all, Mike and, and Linda, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Fun to start my day with you guys. Uh, I was looking forward to this. So let's, let's start by talking a little bit just about population growth. And uh, Pia, Pia, correct me if I get anything wrong here because <laughs> you're the expert on this stuff too. In the last 10 years, we've had a million two new residents move here. No place like it in America. Uh, by 2040, we expect to pass Chicago as number three uh, on the uh, US Metro list. Uh, we, we were on a roll before the pandemic. In 2019, we gained 128,000 new jobs, by far the most in the nation. New York had like 93, we had 128, they were second. Uh, in the last five years, five Fortune 500s have moved here. Um, you know, uh, McKesson, Charles Schwab, Cormark, CBRE, Jacobs, uh, and then the pandemic hit. And uh, in the pandemic year, we lost 81,000 jobs last year. I want to put that in perspective for you. Houston lost 141,000. New York City lost a million. Uh, Los Angeles lost 561,000. We lost 81,000. So we did relatively well uh, next to the, the other states, uh, other, uh, other metros in, in Texas and the big, uh, the big cities around the country. When the pandemic started, there were 31 companies uh, kind of looking to move here. They were, they were kicking the tires, they were uh, looking for information, they were considering it. Uh, now we have 93 looking to move here. So we went from 31 to 93, a 300% increase. And uh, we think uh, it's because we have all the advantages we've always had but now we lack the density, we lack density, which is in our favor. In New York City, it's 29,000 people per square mile. Here it's 4,000 people per square mile. So we have one seventh of New York City. So we believe that when people get vaccinated and we get back to life, uh, we're gonna be a magnet like, like never before. I think this is gonna be a very, very robust uh, economy. And uh, a lot of folks are gonna be uh, looking to move here, so. So let's stay on that for a second. So we're talking about um, 93 companies and we know our average income and I'm going to make up a number and I know I'm wrong, but hopefully I'm close is about 48 to 50,000 per family. Are these jobs, what kind of industries? And I remember HQ2, when we were talking about that for Amazon was, they said there'd be 25,000 at a hundred average. That really picks up our average. If we're all low manufacturing, it's below it. Can you yeah. talk about these relative incomes as well, please? Yeah, so, so financial services, uh, I'll go through industries and you can kind of, uh, I think know by the industries I go through um, what, what, what those incomes might be. Financial services, tech company headquarters, um, medical device companies. So those are, those are all fairly good, right? Food. Uh, consumer goods, auto and aerospace manufacturers, uh, logistics, and large data centers. Those kind of rise to the top, all of those. So, so you can see that there are some that are in the higher income area uh, range, some are in the middle, and some are in the, probably the lower, middle in, uh, low, lower income range there. 
So if you broke those out, um, you know, Fraker's lathering at his lips when he's hearing about the, the, the distribution side of it. And uh, I've got um, um, Colin on here and, and uh, uh, Van Amberg, people who've really been very deeply involved in the corporate reloads. That's a different kind. Are they all coming here for very different reasons or for the same reasons? Well, uh, you know, we have a lot of advantages, Mike, as you know. Uh, first, first of all, when people are looking to move, I think Texas is first on their mind because of the Texas business climate, right? I mean, people know that Texas is a great place to do business. And then, we, then they start to narrow it down and say, why, why would I move to Dallas versus Houston, San Antonio, Austin, right? And, and um, I, think, I think the reasons are, first of all, a lot of available land, something for everyone. I mean, you know, Van Amberg has proven that campuses work, right? Uh, the campus uh, uh, model is a good one. The tech corridor in, 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 uh, in the Richardson area, you can be near great airports if you're out in Irving. Uh, downtown, Southern Dallas County is becoming more attractive for some folks. Uh, but the fact is that one reason we win often against the others, we have two great airports, you know, and we have the headquarters of the largest airline in the world, American, and the largest U.S. airline, Southwest Airlines. Uh, we have no hurricanes here, which, which, is, which helps. We're not as congested as Austin or Houston. Believe it or not, we have more college students and more college graduates in DFW than Austin, Houston, and San Antonio. So there's talent here and the cost of living. Uh, cost of living is pretty good in those, those places too, except for Austin probably. But, uh, but we win on a lot of counts. Uh, and the other thing is that, that uh, technology has really picked up here and it's become, we've become a, a hub for tech workers. And uh, we're very fast growing in terms of technology workers moving to Dallas. And I think the companies like that. So we have uh, 31 um, on the CEO call, 31 CEOs. So everybody else is welcome to jump in. And I'm gonna try to turn this into a little more of a conversation, but everybody's ready to jump in. Pia, if you wanna unmute yourself, I'm gonna ask you a question and we can kind of go back and forth on questions. Um, Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York, said the other day, the other day in one of his speeches, move over Austin, right? Because he was pitting us versus Austin on the recruiting, which was great. He said, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. It's easier for young dreamers. And yet he got it wrong because Dallas, not Austin, is kind of winning the recruiting out of New York. Can you talk about Texas for a second in Austin and Dallas. If we look at us, we want Texas to win and then we want Dallas to win. Can you talk about Texas in a second versus California, New York? Uh, okay, can you hear me okay? Yes, perfectly. Okay, great. Um, so what uh, Dale is talking about, I mean, we, we see that in the data too. I mean, we see even in the pandemic continued migration to Texas. We don't have the data broken out uh, by migration versus overall growth. But what we know is that we're the, we did not slow in terms of population growth in 2020, despite the pandemic. We grew at the same rate as we did uh, in 2019. 
which is remarkable given that population growth in the overall U.S. actually was the slowest in 2020 since the Great Depression, not Great Recession, Great Depression. So population growth is anemic in the U.S., uh, but continued at the same pace in Texas. So certainly the migration continues to happen and the cell phone data, which is all the only data we have on migration so far uh, for 2020 suggests that interstate moves, still Texas ranks number one with Florida right behind us. I didn't hear Bill de Blasio's comments, but in terms of, uh, in terms of performance in the recovery from the pandemic in Texas, Austin is number one because Austin always grows fastest <laughs> and then uh, and then Dallas um, and uh, but of course Dallas is our whole North Texas region is a lot larger so in terms of percentage growth it's going to take more for us to you know have that pace of growth that Austin does um, but as Dale was pointing out and, and you were saying Mike uh, it's uh, we have a lot of uh, favorable uh, characteristics of our metropolitan area that are continue to draw people in. Um, and certainly we've seen um, some of the same trends though here that they've seen in other large metropolitan areas with a little bit of emptying out of the city center and, and, and a big increase in housing demand and more and, and apartment demand in more suburban areas. Um, but, uh, but that's okay. I mean, in the sense that we're still overall drawing people in and certainly corporations and firms into the state as a whole. Okay, so I was short on introductions because everybody on this phone call or a Zoom call knows exactly who both of you are. So forgive me for not having big, long form introductions. We were just, we lost some time. And since we all appreciate you and know both of you, we jumped in. Pia, I want to ask you a question. We talked at Dale and you both gave us some history on backdrop of how we got here, where we're at. And... Now you get to pull out your crystal ball based on your data and take your data and project forward. A lot of people on this call would like to know about your thought, your projecting of future growth in two ways. One is obviously migration trend, if you had to take a guess going forward. And the second one is how does that correlate to jobs and what job growth might we have going forward? Do you want me to start? Yeah, would you okay. go ahead, you go first. Okay, Dale, thanks. Uh, so uh, we have a pretty strong forecast for 2021. 20, uh, Our job growth forecast is over, uh, well over 4%. So we're between four and four and a half percent job growth for the state as a whole, which is more than twice as fast as normal. Um, the outlook really is positive and we have this forecast is not assuming, is not including a potential stimulus at the national level. So if in addition to what the situation that we have now, if in addition to this, we also get a $1.9 trillion <laughs> stimulus package with considerable stimulus payments for households, as well as uh, con uh, very large transfers to, to, to schools and, and local and state governments, uh, we're gonna have even faster growth uh, so it's almost a question as how can we accommodate even faster growth than four, four and a half percent. But the outlook is pretty positive. I mean, right now, January, beginning of January was a little weak. Uh, we think the January jobs number might not be the best for, for Texas, but we uh, overall for the rest of the year, 
um, we really have a very positive outlook and things look like they're going to really heat up fast. And do you look at North Texas to, to kind of track parallel to Texas? Yes, because North, well, yeah, and as I was saying earlier, in terms of North Texas, we'll grow at the state average or faster um, for the reasons that we mentioned. For example, the metropolitan areas that are struggling a little bit more than, than we are is Houston, as you mentioned, and Dale mentioned, um, and then um, San Antonio with a considerable tourism industry. Of course, they're really suffering as well. Now, what's going to help Houston, though, and what's going to help us this year is it looks like the energy sector is really firming up. So, I mean, that's another push factor that's going to help us uh, help us grow. But again, North Texas should be in great shape, uh, growing at or above the state average. Um, certainly, again, we don't catch up to Austin, but Austin's smaller, and um, and we have the nice complementarities here between Fort Worth, which is more of a manufacturing base. And, uh, and Dallas, which is more of a services-based economy. Yeah, well, Austin's a statistical anomaly, as you would say, so we'll forget about Austin for a second. <laughs> um, Dale, why don't you pile in on this? So, so I, I guess what makes me optimistic is, uh, if you think about the tech, our tech brand is rising, right? So, uh, as I mentioned, second fastest growing in tech jobs, you think about Uber coming to Deep Ellum, uh, that's their second largest office space outside of San Francisco. Uh, Salesforce is in Uptown, uh, Facebook data center in, at Alliance. Uh, Amazon has their office space at Galleria. Peloton has a corporate office space in Plano. And so that gets me excited that given what Pia says and what we know in terms of the increased interest from others about DFW that when, when, when we get through this vaccine, when we get through the uh, pandemic and people get vaccinated, I think, you know, the floodgates are sort of going to open a little bit. And I think uh, uh, what, what also gets me excited is you guys. It's the D DFW real estate community who can respond, you know, quickly and evolve to the needs of, of what people want and need as they reimagine their office, uh, office environments and their needs. And um, I'm also, you know, I think we have more arrows in our quiver now. We've got uh, Southern Dallas County. Uh, people are starting to pay attention to that. Frito-Lay has, Texas Instruments has. Uh, you know, down at Redbird, we've got UT Southwestern now. Chime has brought a, a call center down there. So, so people are starting to see that as another option for them. And I think, DFW is appealing to manufacturing and distributors looking for their supply chains to be closer to bigger markets. We're starting to see that a little bit too. And, and, and there's the Texas two-step, we call it, which is company moves a bunch of their people here, kind of test the, test the waters a little bit uh, for a potential headquarters move at a later date. And, and I think that some of that might happen. And then the work from anywhere uh, benefits us because People maybe want to be out of the big cities. They want to be out of the density and better quality of life down here. Maybe some small number of executives from a certain company might move down, start working here, get a feel for it, and maybe think about moving their companies down here too. So I think I'm very bullish on uh, on the next year, the next couple of years. Hey, um, Dale, you forgot GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. 
unfortunately, that might be a conversation stopper or, or, or alternate. Um, we've got a lot of great people on the phone. If y'all want to kind of pull your images back up on the screen and unmute yourself and ask questions, um, I've got a lot of questions, but I really enjoy everybody jumping in. Trey just unmute himself. Trey, you want to lead off? Do you have something? Very observant this morning, Mr. Avalon. A um, mm. lot of optimism. I, I live on optimism, so I, I agree with most of what was said. Sophia, you, you laughed. You caught yourself laughing when you talked about the stimulus program, which is almost, in some respects, the numbers are absurd at 1.9 trillion. It's hard to say out loud. Um, and you even said that things look to be heating up and will be heating up. Concerns around that, concerns around inflationary pressures, sectors that are perhaps overheated. I mean, there's a lot of discussion that some parts of our country and economy have really obviously accelerated dramatically, really quickly. There's some concerns around that. Any thoughts? Um, sure. I mean, yeah, I laughed, I guess, just because, not because it's funny, it's just a little bit uh, daunting, I guess. So I, I, maybe it was a nervous laughter. <laughs> I almost want to cry. You laugh, same thing. I guess. <laughs> so, um, so I'm not a macro economist and I'm not a financial economist. So I'll just repeat sort of what Robert Kaplan, our president, says about um, I mean, his concerns around what, what could be uh, coming down the pike. And so he's certainly careful um, and watching uh, price pressures very closely. Um, I think we got a CPI number this morning, and which I guess uh, higher oil prices are beginning to push that up. The hope is that the, uh, if there's a spike in price pressures, that it's going to be transitory. And, uh, and sort of not feed into permanent price pressures and, and, and those year-over-year -year inflation measures. Um, of course, we haven't hit our inflation target <laughs> for, I, don't, I haven't counted the years, it's well over a decade. So, um, so we're bad at forecasting inflation and, uh, and we're bad at, at getting inflation up, I guess. So, uh, so I think, uh, you know, it's, the jury's out, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, I guess my what I can say with more confidence is that the stimulus will feed into what is already a huge national debt, a huge national deficit, um, and uh, and there are concerns around that as well in terms of the pressure on borrowing rates just from the government borrowing so much uh, and how we're going to pay it back. Um, Lucy, Gardick, Midori, I'm looking at names, Fitzgibbons. Uh, Question, please. I'll, I'll jump in. Um, it seems to me that the economic incentive competition between cities has um, died off and that corporations don't seem to be caring about it as much. Maybe at a state level they do because the dollars are bigger. Am I misreading this? Yeah, Lucy, I think that's right. Um, you know, and I, and I don't know really. I don't know really the reason for it, other than maybe uh, it's it's not as um, it's not as relevant. You're right. You're right. The state numbers are bigger, um, uh, but but I think locally it's I don't know. It's it's uh, it's it's not a bigger it's not as big a piece of the pie maybe as it once was, and uh, and is is kind of less relevant to a lot of folks these days. It seems like. So is it your opinion that? Um for a while, it was the incentive competition. Now, 
that was us chasing companies. Now it looks like companies are chasing talent. So if we build a better city, we build a better fabric and infrastructure of opportunity for them, then the talent comes here and then the companies chase the talent. And so we really want to chase a greater city and greater talent. The companies follow. Dale, would you agree with that? That, that is very well said. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't say it any better than that, Mike. Yeah. Yes. That's great. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> Somebody else was jumping in. Please do. Steve Van Amberg or Jeff Swope, do you have any questions? Or Ray, love to have you jump in. Washburn? Well, I'll, I'll do one other follow-up. I think that um, companies still want to have the cities show their love and their importance and their significance. And how might any of these cities best do that? And how do we get the spouses? Dale, I think you're part of one of those conversations. How do we get the spouses to tell everybody back home, Texas is better than LA? <laughs> Have them shop at the Holland Park Village, you know. <laughs> easy, easy. I think, you know, Ray, Ray, Ray and I were part of that conversation that you, yeah. you referenced, uh, Lucy. Maybe Ray could uh, give his opinion on this. He's got a, he's, he's got a great you know, perspective on it. Yeah, no, we get a lot of calls from people who say, hey, I've got the CEO's spouse in town from L.A. or New York. Can you all give them a VIP tour of the Holland Park Village? Because they want to know that. not a hick town. I mean, it's amazing how many people think of Dallas as just not, not on the same par as in New York or Los Angeles and other places. And I think we need to do a better job of world, world-class city. We have everything to offer here that any other city in the world has. And so um, anyway, that's Dale and I are in a little group trying to figure out how do we sell at the highest level to the CEOs coming into the market that, um, pass the things on the cost of living and all those things that this is an acceptable place for them to come live. I mean, a lot of the spouses come here kicking and screaming because they don't want to leave what they right. think that, that where they're very comfortable. And then the flip side of that is on the Austin deal is Austin's considered so cool and all that Dallas isn't considered cool. I think Dallas needs to work on the under 40, one CEO moving here, Canyon partners, you guys probably heard of them from LA. He said when they looked around, everyone under 40 wants to move to Austin. Everyone over 50 wants to move to Dallas. And so, you know, we had the sophisticated crew wanting to come. We just need to prove up that the under 40, that there is a cool scene here. And it's just, Dallas just isn't considered cool. Well, on one of um, our tours, um, a company asked to have a presentation of the, to meet the philanthropic leadership in the Metroplex. And I thought that was fabulous for a multitude of reasons and I think it could be good to integrate um, that into general tours and presentations. Somebody else, another group asked about how much innovation do we have in the city, patents or other things that um, initiate. Um, and then, you know, like you said, you've got a lot of competent people and spouses coming. We've got to pull them into society and welcome them and um, have events and things of that nature. And I find it particularly um, important you know, when you're jumping into an Indian community 
and you know we still the Indian community is not merged into the rest of the community in this metroplex. So I think we've got um, to get that leadership together, and it's not just through the Indian American Chamber. Hey, Mike. Yeah, Mike Lafitte, please jump in. Yeah, I'd make it just a comment. I guess what's kind of running through my head is, you know, we announced um, our, we after 100 plus years of CBRE being headquartered in, in California, which were the roots of the company, you know, we announced late last year that we were officially making it official. I mean, the, the company, we were already here. Um, so it wasn't a big migration of jobs. Although over the last 10 years, we have moved a lot of jobs, probably a thousand jobs to, to Dallas kind of quietly. We didn't ask for and look for incentives so the motivation, I just want to put a, you know, a kind of a double down on the importance of labor, uh, the availability of labor and the price of labor. It blows away, you know, real estate costs or, any, or incentives or any other, anything else as it relates to why companies come here in addition to all the great things that we all know and love about Dallas in terms of central location, the airport and all those things. But when you just do, run the math on a, on a bunch of jobs, you know, a dollar an hour is huge and it, and it is multiples of the cost of real estate or anything else so the availability labor longevity longevity you know the quality of labor and the you know the the importance of schools and the educational systems uh, that that are in north texas are a huge huge driver for us you know forever we just competed head to head with atlanta and it was about incentives and you know who's going to give more but you know i don't think it, i don't think that is playing as much today uh, as a as the driver it's just a lot of other factors that are. That so, so Ray and, and Mike, I really appreciate your comments. I'm going to paraphrase them and then turn it back to a question for Pia and Dale. I'm looking at the people on the screen here, and I know at least half of you grew up here. A lot of us grew up here. And Dallas is really a young city, and we're growing so fast. It kind of, as Ray alluded to, um, they're still, we're growing so fast. People still have an image from the Dallas TV show from 40 years ago, they don't realize the gravity. That's an issue. Mike Lafitte just talked about um, a durable workforce at an affordable price point. I wanna turn that back to Pia and then Dale. Pia, I got a question for you on that regard. Let's talk about the opposite. Let's talk about headwinds. We're talking about growth, not just the 4% or four and a half, not inflationary that's kind of the greater whole, but just in North Texas, I'd love to hear each of you denotate because we've got a lot of people on the phone who on this call that can work on things. What headwinds do we have specifically in North Texas and Dallas for specifically that could slow down this growth that you have? You're not going to talk about it, Dale, too, when you're pitching a deal for us, but that you worry about, like education. Pia, will you go for? What are the potential headwinds in front of us? Um, well, in terms of the, well, not speaking to the short term, which obviously is the pandemic, but the, uh, but really the medium to long term, I mean, the, the speaker before me was exactly right. I think human capital uh, is the most important, the quality of schools. We have to look at who is in K through 12 public schools in Texas. It's over half Hispanic kids. They tend to come from families with relatively low education because their parents or grandparents were immigrants. Um, and so how do we get these kids up um, through high school into college and completing college? Actually, the, we've done a good job in Texas getting uh, high school graduation rates up. In fact, we have some of the highest high school graduation rates in the nation. 
but college completion rates are really low here. Um, and so we really need to focus our attention on, on, on this generation of, of public school kids and, and how to get them quality education and how to get them a college education. And I think that should really be the number one priority to safeguard <clears throat> the medium to long run growth prospects of the region. Dale? Yeah, I would say that um, in many ways we're a tale of two cities. You know, we, we are very wealthy uh, in many parts of this community, and we are very poor in other parts of this community. And I think, I think closing the gap between those two is really important. I think giving, to, to Pia's point about education, because I think that is the key, right? Um, a big key uh, to, to, to allowing people to have living wage jobs and, and having a good job and a good life. Uh, it goes, ed good education, good job, good life. And right now in Dallas County, the 25 to 34 year olds in Dallas County, only one out of four earns a living wage of $50,000, one out of four. And if, if you're the black community, it's, it's three times tougher for a black young person to earn that wage as a white person, and two times tougher for a Latino to earn that wage as a white person. And so I would say, and Pia talked about education, but I think there's also a middle ground, and that is these middle skills jobs. And it's getting a kid through high school to, to community college for a couple of years, maybe a trade, a trade job, uh, a $50,000, $60,000 a year job. Maybe they aren't going to go to four years of school. Maybe that's not, not what's, what they're all about. But they could be a, a plumber, a pipe fitter. We need a lot of them <laughs> in this area. We're short on them. And I think we could do ourselves a big favor by, by getting kids to, through 14 years of school, you know, 12 and two, and getting them into some of these jobs and letting them have a good life and, and giving them an opportunity for a good life that, that, that helps us all and helps, uh, helps the workforce and helps, um, and helps the tax base and just makes us a, just a, more, a little bit more uh, a just uh, uh, community. And Dale, do you see that really kind of coming through the JUCO system? Yeah, and I think we're really lucky to have Bill May here, who's running Dallas College. I mean, he is a genius, I think, and he's very uh, good about working with Mike Hinojosa, the superintendent of Dallas ISD, and Bob Mong, uh, who the former editor of the Dallas Morning News, who now, who's now the president of UNT Dallas uh, in the Southern sector. Those three work very closely together and I think that they have, uh, they have a great idea of what they're doing and we're making progress in those areas. But we can't let up. I mean, they're all, all three of them are, you know, I would say nearing retirement age, but they're like as old as me. <laughs> and uh, and we got to figure out what happens when they're gone. Who comes up behind them and has the same kind of fire and the same kind of commitment to these kids uh, and to our, to our society as they do. Michael Dardick? Yeah, um, this relates to what Dale's talking about, which is these middle wage jobs. I mean, the other competitive thing we have in this city and state is uh, cheaper real estate costs. And some of that has to do with our labor pool. And so I actually want to ask Eric Kruger, you know, I think if, if everything I read, we have an impending, you know, bomb in the construction business of all these people retiring and we don't have people following them. Those are pretty good paying jobs. So I, 
you know, I'm concerned about that for our industry and then just in general. Eric, do you have a thought? Yeah, <clears throat> thanks and good morning, everyone. Um, you know, we, we're seeing, there is a lot of baby boomers that are shifting out a lot of your, your senior crafts people that, um, that really uh, worked a lot with their hands and, and were out in the field and there's a lot of legacy there. Um, but we've been pretty impressed, I, I say Balfour Beatty, with the group that's coming behind them. I know here in Dallas, we've, we've been very um, purposeful in looking at the next generation and there's some strong builders out there. I mean, I, I'll point to the Epic 2 job over there, Uber, that thing's flying up and our general superintendent out there isn't even 40 years old and he's he's just doing a tremendous job so um it there are good paying jobs it's that's one of the things i've told our folks is i don't know why we don't recruit more community colleges quite frankly you don't need to have a four-year university degree to be an excellent contractor it's you know a lot of what we're doing aren't isn't really rocket science uh, so I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. We're pretty optimistic at, at the workforce that's, that's out there. Um, of course, right now, you know, I get just in this last 45 minutes, I've had five emails from, from recruiters trying to move project managers, et cetera, that are out and available because, uh, you know, obviously things have slowed down. So we've got some folks on the line. I, I'm, part of a very small company relative to everybody in the call, but Jim Barry, I saw you on there, Steve Lieberman, Lafitte, Trey, Van Amberg, you've got bigger kind of companies. What questions would you have for Pia and Dale? Well, they're getting ready to ask a question. I've got a quick one, Dale. Uh, you may have mentioned it earlier, but of these 93 firms that are looking, I mean, you know, you feel like there's this pent up demand and it's all waiting for, for COVID to subside, to get some stability back in the in the economy, et cetera. What, in just in your your personal opinion, what are those trigger points that have to be in place? I mean, do we have to have herd, you know, the herd immunity thing going? Does 80% have to be vaccinated? I mean, what what is it in your mind that's gonna say, okay, we're ready to make the move? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's everything we hear is it's, you know, 70, 75, 80%. I mean, I think that, I think folks will make that call when it comes, but I think right now they're shooting for 80%. Here's what we're doing at the chamber, and we just made this decision last week. Um, we believe the biggest thing, the best thing we could be doing right now for the business community here is to get people registered so they can get vaccinated so we can get back to life. Okay, right, we need 80%. Right now, we've only got 5% vaccinated. We need 80%. All right, we've only got 23% registered. This is as of last week. 23% registered is not gonna get us to 80% vaccinated. And so, and there's, there, there's a big, there's a, there are communities, particularly the black community and the brown community who are being hit disproportionately by this because, because of health issues and so forth. Uh, and and they, they don't have health insurance, but they are the most resistant the most hesitant to get the shots as well. So we got some real work to do, and we're not gonna to get to 80% without the black and brown communities. And so we've got a lot of work to do. And, and by the way, we had a BCG expert on the phone the other day, and we were talking about you know, our challenges. He said, as big as your challenges seem, 
you guys are doing better than 90% of the places in America. <laughs> so think about what's going on in the rest of the country if we're doing better than 90% of them. And we're, and we're a long way from climbing to the top of the mountain now. So, so that's sort of where we are. And, and that's, the, um, that's the effort we're gonna make. It's gonna be a public service campaign. It's gonna be TV, radio, newspapers, uh, billboards, social media, easy messages, easy to understand messages about where you go to get registered so that when the vaccines come, you can get vaccinated. By the way, I got my vac my first vaccination yesterday. So all right. So PI, I have a technical question for you. Based right, on what Dale was talking about and based on the conversation, um, I had lunch with a couple people on the uh, Zoom today, and we had a question: When one is calculated, and I'm going to put it into my question for you in a technical format. Uh, we've talked about job growth, but we know that GDP is a formula based on effectively the number of people in the workforce, as well as, I'm gonna dumb it down to my language, same store sales, efficiency. Do you have any metrics coming out right now that talk about the efficiency of our economy? Because we were all talking about this work from home. Michael Dardick had a lot of kind of little more refined thoughts on that. But how efficient are we is a question we were asking. It's something Dale was kind of, it kind of nibbling around. Do you have statistics on the efficiency of our workforce right now from this kind of work remote, work from home? Um, we have mixed evidence on that. Uh, so initially, uh, I think there was a, a surge in productivity. It, it comes from two really areas. I mean, well, one one is the, the implementation of, of technology and obviously the the hope is that with so much technology infusion in in businesses that really this productivity growth is gonna uh is gonna continue into the medium to long term so it really should be a big boost uh to productivity um if we can measure productivity correctly of course what's clouding the data is the change in the composition of workers so we've seen a lot of low-skilled workers lose their jobs in the hospitality sector in particular those are low productivity jobs. So then when you measure productivity, it looks like it's rising, but it's partly just the composition of employment in the economy because it's now geared more towards the high productivity uh, occupations because we've lost so many jobs on the low productivity end. So that clouds the vision, but in the medium to long term, I mean, what's happened in the pandemic in terms of speeding up technological innovation and, and, and adoption is gonna, be, is gonna be beneficial to productivity. And how is the, and again, back to which is just another question, a little more detail. If you broke age demographic in, I'm gonna make up numbers, 18 to 30, 30 to 50, 50 to 65 and over 65, I've heard Mr. Kaplan talk about the concerns about the aging out of a workforce and the replacement of that workforce. Are you seeing how those bookends working against each other? Oh, it's a huge problem. The retirement of the baby boomers, you guys were alluding to it earlier, it's a huge problem for the U.S. as a whole, a little bit less for Texas because we're a little bit younger, but still we're facing the same demographic cliff. Really, there's you know only a couple of ways to address this. Um, certainly productivity growth is one, and we can make everybody more productive. So even if we have fewer workers or less growth in the workforce, we can still sort of maintain output. But you know, if you run your own business, you know it's not so, uh, it's, that's easier said than done. 
Um, the other way is through immigration. Um, and and uh, right now, I mean, immigration has declined precipitously. I mean, I've never seen such a large decline in the numbers that are coming out. Um, hopefully that will recover with some change in some of the policies and also with an economic recovery. Um, but we're gonna definitely need to figure out how to address this demographic cliff, which is the retirement of the baby boomers and the aging of the workforce overall. Um, and, you know, fertility is another way, you know, immigration works pretty quickly. Fertility takes a long time. We can try to go in there with, um, if you've heard this proposed policy about these child payments um, that the Biden administration is considering, um, so that'll boost fertility, but gosh, it'll take 20 years before, you know, that person will be part of the workforce. So that's part of the solution, but it takes a long time to implement so another more detailed question about that, because I heard Mr. Kaplan talking about immigration very carefully a while back, um, very carefully. And he was talking about immigration, breaking it into immigration isn't an unskilled labor. I'm going to put the statistic. I know you know the right one, so please correct me. But 50% plus, I think it was 53% of all immigrants coming in have a college education. Which type of immigration are you talking about? Both kinds, the, the, the skilled worker, the knowledge worker, the hand worker. Can you talk about that just a little more? Um, sure. I mean, well, we're talking about all kinds of immigration because actually the interesting thing that we're seeing, and you guys talked a little bit about that, and Dale was mentioning this earlier, interesting that we've, trend that we've seen. So after the Great Recession, we saw a real shift in the educational attainment of immigrants away from sort of the, the low skilled to the very high skilled coming from India and China. So a huge surge in very high skilled college educated immigrants. But of course, what's happened over that period of time with the decline in immigration from places like Mexico, which admittedly, a lot of it was unauthorized. Uh, but with that decline, we're actually seeing labor shortages, not on the high skilled end, but actually on the low and medium skilled end. So, so Dale was exactly right to point out, there's a lot of labor demand that's percolating in the low to mid uh, skill levels. And so that has to be addressed too. And that can be addressed with immigration. I mean, it doesn't have to be permanent immigration. You can have a temporary worker plan. You can do a lot of creative things around that. Um, and we can certainly do a better job than, than we are currently. All right, so we have about five, 10 minutes left. Uh, Jeff, I saw you come on. Did you have a comment or a question? You know, it, something we ought to study and look at is how a company actually measures productivity growth. Um, it's a huge topic for all of us. It's a huge topic for the companies. It's a huge topic for our business. You just wonder where the competitive advantage that DFW may have in that. It seems to me we could do some research on that. Pete was just talking about it. But I haven't seen anything that really identifies how a company, no matter what its size may be, can actually measure productivity growth, even comparing it pre-pandemic, currently pandemic, and what it might be looking at the future. Because to me, that's a huge potential competitive advantage that DFW has, just in Texas in general, and the, uh, the work ethic that we have. It's something I think we ought to you know, uh, narrow down or push down on as best we can to find out more about it. That's all I got. Pia, do y'all have a, are y'all continuing to evolve that kind of capacity to do that? I think it's a great idea. Um, the problem, yeah, I mean, we can barely measure productivity pro <laughs> correctly at the national level, so I don't know if we could do it at the local level, but 
Uh, we can certainly give it a shot, try to see, you know, what proxies we have for really output and per input. So, you know, whether it's GDP per worker or preferably, you know, output per hour's work, that's the kind of measure that you need. Yeah, especially at the whole work from home deal, because the work from home people, it's, it's a mixed reviews on how productive we are, especially when you lay in the, uh, the whole idea of the lessened business activity because of the pandemic. So. Um, it's just something I think if we could study it, Pia, uh, my gut would be that Texas and DFW for sure would show uh, extreme, extremely better, I guess is the phrase I would use, uh, economic growth, productivity growth than most other, other areas of the country, and specifically the larger cities. Just a thought. Yeah, that may be. Um, so, um, Pia and Dale, do you have any questions for the group on the phone? You do have a, a wide swath of uh, leadership in brokerage and construction and finance and development, the whole kind of gambit here. Um, what questions could we answer for y'all? Is there anything we can be doing more that we're not doing or answering? I have a question about um, somebody mentioned a slowdown in construction. If that we could elaborate a little bit on that in terms of is that cost driving that or is that demand or what's going on? Eric, you want to jump in on that or anybody else? Well, um, and I specifically, I should have clarified uh, on the commercial construction side. I mean, obviously, residential is is almost overheated right now. But yeah, for for us. Pretty much uh, across the U.S., it's it's this it's related to the pandemic. I mean, just folks aren't aren't making committing big dollars for for new projects. And I mean, a lot of our clients are are on this call. And I mean, I think everyone's just waiting for for that certainty to come back into the market. Is that office or industrial, or is that both? Well, here again, yeah, clarify. Industrial is very strong. I mean, you might have seen in the Wall Street Journal this morning, Houston's had quite an uptick in vacancy in industrial, but industrial is very strong up here, but it's mainly, it's commercial. It's it's office, corporate, Retail. mixed use. Uh -huh. Yeah, that type of work. Uh, you're even right now seeing, uh, I think it's going to change some, but a lot of your healthcare, uh, they've had to put off a lot of their uh, deferred maintenance and, and improvements just trying to handle the current crisis as well. So good news is when all this is behind us, I think, yeah, we probably will have labor shortages and all those things that maybe we were seeing before, but um, there's quite a stall right now in the, in the commercial market. And uh, you're seeing that, especially with the subcontractors. Um, for the On the commercial side, the few MEP that can focus on data centers and and those types of things are staying busy, but others that don't get into that market much, uh, yeah, are feeling quite the pinch. That's very helpful, thank you. I mean, part yeah, of it, is the, I'm sorry, Rick, but the healthcare has frozen all their budgets. I mean, we're dealing with a comfortable healthcare system and you know, cap, all the capital is going for the vaccine and, and the focus is the, you know, getting the testing done. And so any projects we had for a couple systems, they, they kind of basically were frozen. Secondly, is the, since trades on the line financing is almost impossible to do what we do in retail side of the world or mixed use. Anything that touches something that has a parking lot that doesn't have a garage, we're having a hard time uh, if it's not industrial. And then the third thing, Eric, maybe you could emphasize, and 
we're probably going to slow down some of the smaller jobs is the cost of materials, cost of construction. I'm hearing steel and, and oh, yeah. lumber, but it's about to explode, has exploded. And one of the rumors I heard from an architect is that Amazon is going to hoarded up all the steel up east so they could build their warehouses. So I don't know how true that is, but well, yeah, no, I mean, going on out there. Yeah, lumber prices, you know, for nothing else, residential construction have, have tripled in many cases. And steel, yeah, we're seeing steel go up almost every 30 days right now. It's, 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 you know, you wouldn't think, you'd think everything's slowing down, et cetera. But yeah, commodity prices continue to rise. The reason why, um, quite frankly, the reason why anyone who can commit to a major project right now would see no inflation over a year ago is that uh, it's, it's the pressure on fees. It's, it's fees from subcontractors, et cetera, that are trying to keep their people. That's what's holding it down. But that'll only be temporary. Once this thing lifts and they start seeing yeah. a little bit, you're gonna see a huge jump, I think. Yeah, Pia, I'm gonna rephrase that from the development community and what Frank and Eric just said, which is we're seeing commodity prices rise right now faster than we're seeing rent growth. And obviously if we have rent growth exceeding commodity prices, we see a lot of development. But the the demand side hasn't slowed down, people are still moving here. So short term, there's a compressed market and in the medium or long, if you probably got a, a group here, a, a study group, they would probably say, we're all thinking we're gonna have that compression turn to a real driver coming up. Trey, do you wanna expand on that from what you're seeing? You have a very broad think, view of the market. I think you're a little bit optimistic on that description. I think you actually have a situation where fundamentals and economics are declining while you have cost increasing. So it's the perfect storm in the wrong direction. And it's putting a ton of pressure. Now, the good news is we're seeing yields, what investors are willing to accept from a yield perspective, declining as well, following just global yields declining. So a project that didn't pencil at a six return on cost may pencil at a five and a half. And we're seeing some acceptance there across industrial and multifamily. Yeah, it, that was where I was headed with my question, Eric, was just around the construction cost increases that are so dramatic. We're seeing particularly on the commodity side and how that's all reconciling with the decline in the overall activity. It seems incongruent. And it's a big question. I know part of it's on the residential side of the business, but it goes back to Some my comment. It, yeah. Some of it's on the supply side. I mean, manufacturers, I mean, lumber mills, whatever. I mean, sawmill, whatever they're called. I mean, they, they, they have to make accommodations for COVID. They've had to slow production. They've had to reorganize their uh, factory floors. I mean, it's, we see it in the auto industry. We're seeing these and then there's a shortage of semiconductors of these computer chips. I mean, it's, we're seeing pressure on the supply chain across industries. It's really, um, it's really unprecedented. It's very, um, and it's sort of this dichotomous. I mean, we have a service sector that's completely faltering and then a good sector that's, that's, uh, that's uh, heating up. Okay, who's gonna get in with the last question that the stumper that neither Pia or Dale can <laughs> feel comfortable answering. Somebody jump in here. Well, I can ask a quick question for Dale. If most of you probably know, he was the head of the Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame, had a great article last weekend and, and some of the Hall of Famers have passed away. Does, does uh, Barry Bonds, Clements, Sammy Sosa get in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> <laughs> Based, 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 on the, based on the voting of a couple weeks ago, no. 
they're still ways away. You know, Mary and, and Roger have one more shot at it with the riders uh, next year, and they're 14% below where they need to be. So I don't think they can make that up. And if they don't get in, I don't think Sosa gets in. But, but next year on the ballot, the first year for Alex Rodriguez and uh, David Ortiz. So it just keeps on going. <laughs> it just so, keeps uh, on leave going. it to Frank to keep us very focused here. Um, <laughs> Linda, you uh, saw, the photos. I saw the sports photos. I saw Gail Sayers up there, Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Linda, you want to kind of wrap us up and give a thank you? Well, first of all, thanks to everyone coming to these programs. They, um, I think they've served as a really good place for you to hear what's going on in the marketplace. We've really, uh, I, I know I've enjoyed these since April of last year when we started them. Uh, and uh, and ba based on the attendance that we're consistently seeing, pretty much 100% attendance, it sounds like we're hitting on all the right notes. We have some great programs scheduled, great another meeting scheduled next month. Uh, with someone from J.P. Morgan um, out of New York, and uh, we're just going to keep the content flowing to you so that you are up to date in the latest things that are happening in the industry. Uh, Pia, thank you so much for joining us once again. I appreciate it, Dale. We always appreciate your partnership and friendship, and I'm going to send you a couple ideas about the vaccine that have come from um, uh, some of our nonprofit partners in South Dallas. might be helpful as you do your planning, because I applaud your efforts for that. We do need to get everyone vaccinated. And I got my second one yesterday, so I'm right. very happy. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for having us, Linda. We really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thanks, everyone. More Again, to come. Thank, thanks to everybody for attending, and Pia and Dale. I know your schedules are busy, and we really appreciate you taking the time to, to meet with us and talk to us, and y'all have a great day. That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank Dale Petrosky, Pia Arenius, and all of the other executives who took the time to join our latest CRE Executive Roundtable. Be sure to subscribe to TrackCast to get our latest episodes right to your mobile device, and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter for the latest news and updates from around the Real Estate Council. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.